We began a sermon series uh, back in January of 2020 through the book of Exodus. And then, as Kevin mentioned, um, we took a break from that when we moved outside for worship services. And we're resuming Exodus today, um, not only because some of us really like to complete things that we started. It feels good to check something off. I was encouraged, uh, as some of you were asking, when will we resume Exodus I was glad to know I'm not the only one who thinks that way. So, um, Lord willing, by Advent, we'll all cross it off our list, and it will feel great. But that's not really why we're resuming the book of Exodus. The, The reason is because it's a foundational book for appreciating God's work of salvation. It is just crucial for us as those who have been saved by God to see how he has done that throughout the Old Testament, and in particular, through the Exodus account. So this week and next week, we'll be doing two overview messages to bring us up to speed. Today is 1, 1 through 15, kind of up to the people leaving Egypt. And then next week, Ryan will preach about the people in the wilderness. And so our plan is to finish the book as we come to Advent at the end of November. Have you ever noticed that we often only remember a part of a story? If someone says a movie title to you, I'd imagine that what happens is a certain scene or maybe a few scenes come to mind. And for me, as a child, it was always the sad or scary scenes that came to mind, and basically only those scenes. And so for a long time, I didn't want to have anything to do with movies. They were just too overwhelming. But maybe that's not how you are. And maybe for you, as you hear about a particular story, you think of those moments of grandeur or victory or this good feeling as you think about what took place in that story. Well, this partial recall is also what happens to us when we read the Bible. And I think in particular with great stories like the Exodus. Probably what first pops into our minds when we hear the word Exodus is that climactic victory scene as the Israelites are passing through the sea on dry land and then as the waters cave back in and collapse over the Egyptians. But one of the things that we see as we walk through Exodus and as we saw when we went through it earlier is that 14 chapters unfold before those people walk through the Red Sea. And hundreds of years unfold between Exodus 1-1 where the story begins and chapter 14, when the people are walking out of Egypt. And if all that we remember as God's people is the final victory scene, if that's all that comes to our minds when we think about how God works in history, then actually we'll have a really distorted view of how God relates to people like us for most of the time throughout human history. And so this morning, I want us to, by way of review, consider three movements of the Exodus story and how they call us to remember the God of the Exodus. And in particular, to see that God sees, God speaks, and God saves. And so let's pray and ask our Lord's help as we consider his word, and then we will look at some passages together. Our Father in heaven, we pause to ask you for your help, for we understand that we are coming not just to the words of men, but we are asking to hear your very words as you speak to us by your Spirit. We pray that you would illumine our hearts, 
that you would help us to understand these things. Warm them where they are cold. Humble them where they are proud. Strengthen them where they are weak. We know that we can do none of this ourselves, and so we desperately ask for your help as we consider your word. Help us to see our Lord Jesus and the wonder of the salvation that we have in him. And we ask that you would do this by your spirit, in Christ's name, amen. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. We'll look at a few passages together just by way of review. If you didn't bring a Bible and you'd like to follow along, uh, it can be found on page 46 in the Pew Bibles. They're on the back of the pew in front of you. Uh, But having the text in front of you could be helpful as we consider these things together. The first thing that we realize as we reorient ourselves to this story is that our God is a God who sees. Our God sees. The book begins by bringing us up to speed on what's been happening since we came to the end of the book of Genesis, where we left off with Joseph escaping uh, from the famine in the land, bringing his family into Egypt where uh, the people of God could be saved from this ongoing famine. And so things start off well. The people are increasing and they're multiplying in the land. And for those who have been listening throughout the unfolding of Genesis, we know that that's picking up on the promise to Abraham that his people would be greatly multiplied. That's coming to pass here in the land of Egypt. And yet the situation quickly becomes very bleak. A pharaoh arises who did not know Joseph. And he chose to oppress the people of Israel subjecting them to harsh slavery. And when that didn't reduce their numbers, then he decreed that all of their baby boys should be thrown into the Nile when they were born. And in that horrible context, Moses is miraculously saved. He's drawn out of the water. But when he grows up, he fails to deliver God's people. And he has to flee for his life to Midian because he took things into his own hands and killed an Egyptian. And so at the end of chapter 2, as those things have unfolded, we get a summary statement of this whole situation. And look with me, if you would, at chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So this summary, as we come to this particular time waiting for God's deliverance, it highlights the people's situation with a fourfold mention of their suffering. Did you notice that in those verses? The the original text actually uses four different words to describe what we have translated as groans and cries. It says they groaned, they cried out, their cry for rescue, their groaning. And so this summary shows their fourfold suffering, but then it also goes further and it pulls back the curtain of sorts to show us God's fourfold notice of their situation. Did you hear the repetition of those verses of the word God and then the verbs that followed? It says God heard, God remembered, God saw, God knew. How are we to understand 
these words? Is it that God really hadn't heard anything before, that he was plugging his ears up in heaven in some way, that, that he'd really forgotten, oh, I forgot that the people were there in Egypt. Maybe I should go check on what's going on, or that he hadn't seen or that he hadn't known. Of course not. We know he's an all-knowing, ever-present God. But these verses come to us as accommodated language. God speaks to us in a way that we can relate to. And as we think about the, the metaphors of these words, they're a powerful description of a God who is near to his people, especially in their fourfold suffering. I love it that when it describes God's actions, it begins by saying that God heard. Have you ever noticed how close you have to be to someone to hear them? That's something I've really noticed the last year and a half. We can see someone from far away. You can have an idea maybe of what's going on in their life. But to hear someone, you have to be pretty close to them. And that's why the fact that God hears us is actually so comforting in Scripture. William Brown says that in the Psalms, God's hearing is highlighted even more than his sense of sight because it captures his nearness to our words, our groans, and our cries. And together, God hearing and God seeing show his supreme awareness of our situation, don't they? He sees all that we experience, he says, and he hears how it affects us. And not only is God aware of what his people are experiencing, hearing and seeing it all, but it also goes on to say that he remembered Now, again, this doesn't mean that God forgets, but it's the language of covenantal remembering. It's a way of saying that he decided, now is the time to act based on what I have promised to do for my people. And then this summary closes with that simple phrase, and God knew. God knew all that they were experiencing because he saw and he heard it, but he also knew all that needed to be done in their particular situation. And so in the face of this unrelenting suffering that his people are experiencing, when all attempts at rescue by the hand of Moses seem to be failing, God goes out of his way to reveal to his people that he is a God who is near and he is aware. He sees them in their suffering. Do you find that to be very comforting? Sometimes I think that I'm not as encouraged by it as God is. I don't really care about that truth as much as God does. In fact, when I'm reading the book of Exodus and I come to these words of God um, heard and remembered and saw and knew, I think those are nice words. I'm sure that's cool. But can we keep going to chapter 14 where the waves start crashing and victory comes onto the scene? But in life, we can't always jump to the victory scene, can we? And friends, as we walk through this life, groaning and suffering, crying out in trials and pain, If it's not yet the time for victory, then what is it that God says that we need? He says we need the hope that he has seen us and that he is fully aware of all that we are experiencing. And as scripture continues, it's amazing because it continues to show us how much God has gone out of his way 
to show us how well he knows us. In the Lord Jesus, our God now knows us as one who has walked this very same earth that we walk upon. He has seen with his own eyes what it is to live in this fallen world with a human nature and as one of us. He has heard with his own ears the groans of exhaustion and pain and the cries of sorrow and lament. And the scriptures tell us that he has even lifted up his own voice in groans and cries. In Jesus, we have a God who sees and hears us as one of us. Now we might say, but Jesus isn't here with us, seeing and hearing us now. And you'd be right to say that. He is at the right hand of the Father. But part of the beauty of what he reassured his disciples of in John chapter 14, before he left, is that in sending the Holy Spirit, he would not only be among them, he would be in them now by the Holy Spirit himself. And so what we find in this mystery that's almost too profound for us to even wrap our minds around is that God only, not only sees and knows us from the outside, but in a mystery, he knows us from within. And Romans 8 reassures us that even when we don't have words to communicate the groans and the cries that we feel inside, the Spirit himself intercedes for us to God with groans that are too deep for words. Now this doesn't answer all of our questions in times of suffering and difficulty, in the midst of our groaning. It doesn't solve all of our problems. But it is what God wants us to know in the midst of all of our questions and problems. Brothers and sisters, your God is a God who truly sees you today. Not only does he see us, secondly, we find our God speaks to us. Our God speaks. The next movement of the story begins with Moses dwelling in Midian after this colossal failure. His attempts at saving the people have failed. And from all we can tell, he's kind of given up on this idea of rescuing the people, and he's accepted his place as a sojourner in a foreign land. He settled down, gotten married. But in this solutionless state, when all of his attempts to fix the situation have failed, God speaks. And we find in Exodus 3 that God appears to Moses in a burning bush. And you can just move your eyes across the page to Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 4. Again, that's found on page 46 in a pew Bible. It says in verse 4, When the Lord saw that he, being Moses, had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down 
to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come up to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So when Moses has no plan of his own, when all of his ideas have ended up in failure, God shows up and he speaks. And we see three categories of what God reveals in this section. First, he reveals himself in verse 6. He identified himself as the God who has been speaking to his people and relating to his people throughout history. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And a few verses later, he reveals his covenant name, I Am. And not only does he reveal himself, but he reveals his actions. We see this there in verse 8. He doesn't just hear and see and know, which he reiterates again, his people's suffering. He comes down to act on their behalf to deliver them, to bring them out of Egypt and into a land flowing with milk and honey. He reveals himself, he reveals his actions, and third, he reveals his plan in verse 10. Moses has already tried all that he knew to help the Israelites, but the Lord has another way. I will send you to Pharaoh. And he doesn't tell him every detail now, More will come. Even with the details that come, the people and Moses himself are going to be confused and not always understanding the plan. But God's plan is revealed and Moses is called to come and to follow him in that plan. Have you ever felt like Moses as you walk through this life? You've tried to do what you thought God wanted you to do. It's toward a good end but it didn't seem to work out very well. And now maybe you find yourself wandering around in the wilderness, feeling no direction. It could be a relationship that you have invested in over and over again, and yet it's still full of heartache and pain. Maybe a career pursuit that's just not working out. You just feel stuck. Perhaps it's physical limitations, sickness or disease that you face every day and endure the loneliness that you find in that struggle. Maybe it's a sin struggle in this life or an addiction that you've tried and tried to overcome and yet here you find yourself again with it welling up inside of your heart. Often in these wanderings, these times when we've tried all that we know to do, We find ourselves looking for God to reveal himself, don't we? When is it my burning bush experience? When will the Lord come down and tell me that thing that I don't need to know that's going to fix this problem that I've tried to solve? But do you realize maybe we're looking for the wrong thing? The author to the book or to the Hebrews says that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken by his Son. You see, brothers and sisters, we're not waiting for God to come and speak to us out of the form of a bush. The invisible God whose form cannot be known 
the great I am, has come and now made himself visible and revealed himself as fully as we need in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that Jesus can say that if you've seen him, and we see him by faith in his word through the Spirit, that we have seen the Father. And God has revealed his plan to us, hasn't he? We long to hear instruction from God, but, but how much instruction do we actually have already? We have far more than Moses ever had. We have the divine perspective recorded in the scriptures of thousands of years of what God has done throughout human history, what he has done in the past. And we know so much of why God does what he does in the present, how he is working for his glory and for our good and how he calls us to walk even in this present evil age. And we know how things are going to end up, don't we? We may quibble over parts of eschatology, but as we heard last week, God wins. (laughs) And knowing that is really all that we need to know about the future. Friends, in these Midian moments that we find ourselves in, as, as we live waiting for that final deliverance to come, instead of being preoccupied with all of the details that we don't know, God daily invites us to turn aside and to come to him by his spirit as the God who speaks to us. To hear and believe and obey what he has said to meditate upon his word, to to do what you are doing now, to hear it preached and what we're about to do in a few moments, to see it proclaimed in the supper and even in baptism. And most of all, to come and ask that by his spirit, we would see more fully how he has revealed himself in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would come to better see Jesus as all of the scriptures testify to him, his life, his character, his heart toward you, and his determination to save, even at the cost of giving his life. And so, as we face these Midian times, and we may be convinced that we don't know enough, God has a different perspective. And one of the things that he wants to see us to see in the Exodus account is that he has told us, he has spoken what he needs us to know. So not only does God see and God speak, but third, we find that our God saves. The Exodus account echoes, it it reverberates throughout Scripture as this supreme reminder to God's people of this amazing victory that he brings over these enemies that seem like they were undefeatable. And we heard that even in our scripture reading in Psalm 106, and you find it all throughout the pages of the Old Testament. And so it's this ideal reminder of God's powerful victory. But one of the things about that victory that's easy to overlook is what it felt like to be God's people in the midst of that victory. The people were terrified and helpless when the exodus took place. 
You remember some of the events that unfolded as we leave chapter 3 and kind of move through the chapters, moving towards chapter 14. The Exodus experience must have been an emotional roller coaster for the people of God. Pharaoh finally let them go. And they're sent out of Egypt and with all kinds of material goods. They had more stuff than they had ever owned in their lifetime because God changed the heart of the Egyptians. They're throwing their iPhones at them. You'll need this for the journey and take all these things with you. And so they're coming out, arms full of stuff, leaving Egypt behind. And God himself is leading them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is amazing. God is with us and he's doing what he said. But under the Lord's leading, that same pillar of cloud and fire takes them to a place where their backs are up against the sea. And Pharaoh, who had heard of what happened as they switched directions, he thought that they were confusedly wandering in the wilderness and he set out in pursuit of them because he thought maybe their God could help them while they were in Egypt like he did with the plagues. But now that they're out in the wilderness, this is my chance to destroy them. And as the people of God had nowhere to run, they saw the most powerful army in the world bearing down upon them. And chapter 14, verse 10 says, they were greatly afraid and they cried out to the Lord. Now, we may think that even that sounds a bit pious, (laughs) but then the words that immediately follow say, and they told Moses that it would have been better for them to stay in Egypt and die rather than come out of Egypt to die in this way. How quickly things had changed for them. And in this context of fear and of helplessness, God reassures his people through Moses. And so if you haven't turned there already, Flip over to Exodus 14, verse 13. It's on page 56 in the Pew Bible. Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. As we hear this reassurance. It says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Aren't those amazing words of what's about to take place? There they are with their backs up against the sea, with nowhere to run, enemies bearing down, chaos about to swallow them up, and he reassures them of two things, his victory and then his call to follow him in faith. First, he assures them of his victory. The Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. What amazing words of God saying, I have this under control. I will fight for you. And what you see now is not what will always be. And as scripture continues, this call resounds for the people of God, doesn't it? as they face enemies in the land, as they come back after exile, as we await our Lord Jesus' return, our God says to us, I showed you what I did and can do in Egypt and I will do it again. I will fight for you because I am a God who saves. But he also gives them 
instructions. And I love how simple these instructions are. He really just calls them to follow what he is doing in faith. Fear not. Stand firm. See. Fear not is not at all saying that this isn't scary. He knows that this is terrifying, but it's a call to battle being controlled by that fear. It's an invitation to, in your fear, stand there and see what God is going to do. Stand firm is a call not to run away or to run to other gods, but to stay there in faith. And to see is really just a call to continue to show up. It's a call to witness the wonder of God's saving work. Friends, do you need the Lord's reassurance today? There are so many situations that it's legitimate to be afraid of them, isn't it? There's rulers far more powerful than us. There are events that are far beyond any control that we think we have over them. And so often we feel the helplessness of our backs against the sea as the waters of chaos are threatening to engulf us while our greatest enemies are pursuing us at full speed. And it's in this situation that God wants to reassure us that he is a God who saves his people. Brothers and sisters, the enemies you see today, one day you will see them no more. And the message of God's reassurance, it's only gotten clearer since this Exodus account. Jesus, in his Exodus of his death and resurrection, has assured us of his victory. At the cross, he dealt the death blow to all of our enemies. Sin's power over us has been broken because he bore our curse. Satan is now a defeated foe whose plans have failed and he knows his time is short. And death's final say is no more because our Lord Jesus has been raised in resurrection life. And we will join him in that life one day. Brothers and sisters, when our Lord Jesus returns, we, together with all of God's people, will never see these enemies again. And so he assures us of his victory. And then he invites us to continue to walk with him in obedient faith. He calls us to battle the fears that tempt us to run away or to take things into our own hands. He calls us to stand firm, to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, not in our own resources, but clothed in the very armor of Jesus Christ and empowered by his spirit to stand. And each day he invites us to show up in dependent faith, watching, waiting, walking, seeing the salvation that God is at work bringing in us even now, both individually and corporately by his Spirit. God's people have often felt the fear and the helplessness of facing their enemies. And so what we find this morning is if we feel that, And as we feel that, we are not alone. He wants us to know today, from the Exodus and beyond, that he is a God who saves his people. We all tend to remember different parts of a story. But 
one of the things that we see from Scripture is that if we only remember the victory, that one of the things that we tend to forget is that God's deliverance isn't just to bring us out of a bad situation. It's not just to destroy the Egyptians and have water crashing all around. God's deliverance is ultimately to bring us to himself, to see us, to speak to us, to be with us forever. You see, the end of the story of Scripture is not just an epic victory. It's a marriage. It's a feast. It's dwelling with our God. That is what salvation is moving toward. And even more than our forefathers experienced this in the Exodus, we are experiencing the beginnings of that relationship even now. As through Jesus, we come to a God who sees us, who speaks to us, and who is at work saving us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for the way that you have revealed yourself throughout your written word and how you have revealed yourself in your incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to see and follow him more clearly, that you would strengthen our faith to know that you see us and speak to us and are saving us until that day when we receive the fullness of all that you have promised when our Lord Jesus returns. We ask this all in his name. Amen.